Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagan Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. You are so, so welcome. If you are catching up with us uh, later today, later in the week, uh, in a podcast, driving to work, wherever you are, uh, we are thrilled that you've decided to join with us. If we haven't met before, my name's Andy. I'm the senior pastor here at Lagan Valley Vineyard. And just to remind you that foundations are running this week. It is not too late for you to sign up to an autumn course. We're going to be running a course on mission and prayer tomorrow, Monday night. And our Bible course is going to be running this Wednesday night. Uh, All those are via Zoom. There is an option to join the prayer course here in the venue in person. If you're wondering uh, what the whole idea of these courses is, uh, we really felt like the Lord spoke to us in in August about investing this autumn in kind of a back-to-basics learning experience for us all in how do we grow in prayer, how do we connect the dots between the inbreaking of God's kingdom and the ordinariness of our lives, and what does it look like for us to reimagine the church together, and uh, Professor Stephen Backhouse is helping Stu uh, do that on a Wednesday night. I've had tons of really good feedback from the first week a couple of weeks ago. Uh, those will be running again, kicking off tomorrow. So if you haven't signed up, go on the website, look for the foundations link. All the information is there. We would love you to join us. Well, this morning uh, we are back in uh, Matthew. We're going to be looking at a passage from Matthew chapter 13. Can I encourage you at home, grab a phone or a Bible, whatever you normally use to engage in the scriptures, and open up to Matthew chapter 13. I'm going to read it for us uh, today, but uh, it would be helpful if you can open your Bibles, maybe leave them open uh, as I teach through this passage. This is Matthew 13. I'm going to read starting in verse 24 and finish in verse 30. This is Matthew 13, verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed ears, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you are a speaking God. Thank you that you're not a distant idea or just a set of beliefs, but that you are a living presence longing to connect with us, speak to us, change us, and pour your hope and life into us and out through us. And so, Father, we humbly pray in this moment, in our homes and in our lives, come Holy Spirit. Come and speak to us, we pray. 
In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I wonder, have you ever had a moment where you were looking at something and you were completely convinced of what it was that you were looking at until something changed? Maybe you changed perspective or somebody gave you another piece of information and then what you're looking at completely transforms. Dana and I have moved into our uh, new house and thank you so much for the cards and messages uh, from all of you over the last, last uh, number of days. But our uh, main living room window looks out over the Lagan Valley region. And one of my favorite things to do over the last week is just sit there and look out. I, I got my uh, screen time report this morning. It pings on a Sunday morning on my phone. My screen time is down this past seven days, 37%. Not because I've become much more spiritual or I'm actively using my time much better, just simply because I find myself in the quieter moments of my days sitting, staring out a window. It's one of the things I love about where we now live. There's an unhurriedness to the pace of life up there. It's not uncommon to see farmers simply standing in fields, apparently doing nothing much else but looking out. We had some friends up visiting while we were still building. I think it was in, uh, towards the end of July, and we were sitting on some garden furniture in what's now our living room. And we were having a cup of coffee, and I could see in one of the fields in front of us, far away, a farmer standing, just looking. And I was watching him. I said nothing else to any of my friends that were around us, but the entire coffee that we had, this farmer was just standing there. This went on for maybe 30 minutes, 40 minutes, 45 minutes, to the point where I was thinking, this is amazing. This must be some kind of record for this guy to just be able to stand there and stare. And at that point in our conversation, I had to interrupt my friends. I said, guys, this is the most amazing place to live ever. Can you see that farmer out in that field over there? And everybody looked and we could all see the farmer standing. I said, he's literally been standing there for the last 45 minutes. He hasn't moved, just staring out over the land. What kind of pace to your inner life must you have when you can stand like a rock still in a field for 45 minutes? My friends were in this kind of, they live in the middle of Belfast having this like, wow, that is amazing. I can't remember the last time I ever stood still for 10 minutes, never mind 45. And just as we were all in awe, the farmer magically moved and turned into a horse. And my friends made lots of fun at me that I had completely created this whole story of this incredible farmer and the pace of his inner world that he was able to look out over kind of a valley when in fact he was far away and I was actually looking at the backside of a horse that over a space of about a mile actually looked like a bit of a farmer. The issue of seeing correctly is what Jesus is doing in Matthew 13. He's helping people understand that the way they see the world is distorted. When they look at the world, oftentimes thinking that they're looking at an inspiring farmer, they may perhaps at times actually be just looking at the backside of a horse. I wonder for you, when you think about 
the way that you see the world, how often does that get challenged or disrupted? When was the last time you had a moment where you went, oh my goodness, I think I'm seeing this all wrong? One of the most important habits or postures for us, the people of God, to inhabit is that of repentance. You've heard me teach on this many times before. Repentance, certainly in this weird wee part of the world, often is associated with shame. I've made a huge mistake and I need to repent and get better. Well, biblically, repentance really is just about changing direction or opening ourselves up to new God-facing possibilities. How often do we repent of how it is that we're seeing the world so that we can learn with the Holy Spirit to see differently? Or how often does the way that we see the world actually end up embarrassing us? Kind of like that moment for me with my friends where we can sometimes create a whole sometimes inspiring narrative about the way we see things only to discover that we're actually not seeing correctly. Two of the most important prayers we as the people of God will ever learn to pray. Jesus, what do you see? Jesus, what do you say? It is a discipline, a muscle, a rhythm, habit, pattern that we have to cultivate in our lives, learning to set down what we see, learning to restrain ourselves from what we say so that we can learn to see what the Lord sees and say what He says. In my late teens and early 20s, I was very guilty of seeing the world in black and white dichotomies. My mom used to challenge me all the time, if only things were as simple as the way you see them. Truthfully, looking back, I think seeing the world in binary dichotomies is often a hallmark of immaturity. We don't do a very good job right now at a considered middle ground. Just pay attention to the media or modern political discourse and you will see this everywhere. People are either heroes or they're villains. There is no such thing as a mistake in the world that we live in anymore. People in public office who make mistakes have to resign because obviously if you make a mistake, you're a corrupt, deceitful villain who should never ever be trusted again. Unless of course the mistake is you, in which case we're all only human, right? The people following Jesus and those around him were as guilty then as we are today as seeing the world through binary lenses. They couldn't make sense of Jesus' proclamation that the desires of God were breaking into the world all around them in the presence of hard and difficult things in their lives. And for them, for those living around Jesus, hard things didn't just mean economic insecurity or family illness. Of course, both of those things are hard. But for those listening to Jesus, remember that they are living under a brutal, foreign, oppressive military regime. 
and any dissent is met with torture and execution. And it's into that context that Jesus is proclaiming the desires of God are coming alive around you. God's kingdom is at hand. How can Jesus say God's kingdom has come near when there's a Roman soldier with a sword and spear at the ready, standing on every street corner? If these are what the desires of God look like, well, maybe I can't cope with that. It's in the context of people seeing that, seeing the tension, seeing the contradiction even between the soldiers on the street corners and the proclamation that God's desires are available to them. It's in that context that Jesus says the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, an enemy came and sowed weeds among them and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. Jesus is helping his followers learn how to see. People rightly questioned the farmer. Didn't you sow good seed? Who's to blame for the weeds in the field of crops? It's usually the farmer's fault, right? If a farmer sows a crop into a field and that crop begins to produce weeds, then all the neighbors begin to go, geez, he didn't do a very good job of making sure he was sowing good seed in there. He didn't do a good job of preparing that ground properly. He didn't make a, do a good job of making sure that the ground was the way that he needed it to be before he put the seed in. We see this all the time. Who gets blamed for the pain and the suffering in the world? Commentating on the state of the world, the comedian Kevin Bridges said this. He said that he has PTSD just watching the news. Earthquakes, tsunamis, Donald Trump, Brexit, Kim Jong-un, ISIS, Vladimir Putin, global warming, a refugee crisis, sexual harassment. And then he said this, I think if you believe in God, you've got to acknowledge the guy is in over his head. He goes on to declare that God has lost the dressing room. He said that in 2018. I'd love to hear what he thinks about the world and God's handling of it in 2020. Of course, that's comedy. But it's not far off how many of us process pain, right? How many of us, when things are going well around us, find it difficult to stop, to remember, to express our gratitude to God for His goodness and His faithfulness. And yet, when things start to wobble or fall apart, we often find ourselves the first ones to point our fingers at God and blame Him. Where are you? How could this be happening to me? Where is God in the hard things? Why does God at times seem to be doing nothing. In one sense, we will perhaps never have those questions answered. But in this parable, Jesus is speaking directly to that question. Are you seeing correctly? Do you just see the good or just see the bad? 
evil powers and principalities are real. There is an enemy of God who seeks to oppose and disrupt and destroy the good and beautiful things Jesus is doing in the world. Jesus is saying to us, in this age and in our lives, there will always be battles and blessings. There will always be weeds and wheat. The much more confronting question for us all is which will we cultivate in our lives and in our communities? The gospel of the kingdom of God is fundamentally all about allegiance. Who or what gets our ultimate allegiance? When we make Jesus the boss of our lives, our lives bear fruit. When we don't, weeds grow rampantly. I know that seems incredibly simple, but speaking only from my own life, I know that to be deeply true. When I cultivate life with the Holy Spirit and practice the Jesus way, worshiping God, practicing forgiveness, preferring others, embracing honest community, and doing all I can to walk in peace with the people around me, Life is by no means free from hard things, but it does feel fruitful. You see, there were those around Jesus who wanted to just rip up the weeds there and then. They wanted armed revolution to overpower and overthrow Rome and to establish God's realm of peace by violent force. They wanted God to hurry up and just make everything okay here and now. We can be so like that, can't we? (coughs) But would you, would you really want that? Listen to Tom Wright on this. He says, would people really like it if God were to rule the world directly and immediately? so that our every thought and action were weighed and instantly judged, and if necessary, punished in the scale of God's absolute holiness. If the price of God stepping in and stopping a campaign of genocide were that he would also have to rebuke and restrain every other evil impulse, including those we all still know and cherish within ourselves, would we be prepared to pay that price? If we ask God to act only on special occasions, do we really suppose that he could do that simply when we want him to and then back off for the rest of the time? Are we seeing correctly? You see, the truth is, none of us are heroes or villains. We are human beings, flawed and broken, and in desperate need of God's grace and forgiveness so that we can give the gift of that grace to our fellow travelers on the road. Jesus' story in this passage finishes with the image of harvest time, when ultimately the wheat and the weeds are pulled up and separated And this, for me, speaks really helpfully 
So the whole idea of God's character and his sovereignty, there will be a time when we will be held accountable for the choices that we all make in this life. God is ultimately sovereign. But sovereignty is not the same as control. How many times walking through hard things have you heard somebody say, but God is in control? How many times maybe through 2020 have you heard people proclaim that? It feels like the world's on fire. People proclaim that, but God is in control. I find that um, really unhelpful. Because if God's in control, what is he doing? Is he asleep? Has he lost the dressing room? Is he just in over his head and actually everything's out of control? God being in control, it's a comforting idea. It's just not biblically accurate, certainly not in this text anyway. God did not sow the weeds. He is not causing them to grow but he is in charge, and one day he'll deal with the weeds. God being in control and God being in charge are two very different ideas. Yes, he's sovereign, but that's not the same as he's controlling everything. He's sovereign because he's in charge, and one day we will be held accountable for the decisions that we have made in our lives and in the world. That's good news for all of us because he is good and just and full of love. So when you look at the world, what do you see? Do you see wheat or do you see weeds? I hope you're able to cultivate the kind of life that is able to recognize the presence of both, and still lead and live a Godward life. Debbie spoke so powerfully about this last week. Tom, Alex, why don't you guys come on, come on up. Learning to see blessings in the midst of battle, learning to see and celebrate in the midst of hard things is a discipline, a skill even that you can learn and that requires practice. Learning to reject an overly simplistic, everything's either really good or everything's either really bad. The inability to be honest about hard things in our lives because we think that how somehow is a declaration that we don't trust or believe in God. Jesus says, as the kingdom breaks in, as the wheat begins to sprout and bear fruit, the weeds also grow. What are you going to cultivate in your life? Let's pray together. Jesus, we welcome you right now. Come, Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you that you are in charge. 
that you can be trusted and that you cause our lives to bear good fruit. Lord, in this moment, we repent of refusing to see things through the lens of your kingdom. Lord, we repent this morning of maybe seeing everything as bad, of looking at 2020 and thinking, well, that was just a write-off. When the reality is in the midst of it, you've been faithful and you have been good. Open our eyes right now to the abundant blessings you have poured out upon us this year. help us to see help us to see help us to build our lives on what you see Lord Jesus and what you say we humble ourselves before you today We're so grateful for all that you're doing in our lives. And we worship you now. In Jesus' name. Can I encourage you to just change your physical posture? If you're sitting on a chair, why don't you stand or kneel?